Hello and welcome to Bitcoin with Jake. Today I've got Katie and Anina with me. Hi, Katie. Hi there. Hi, Jake. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I always start in the same way. So could you please give us a little introduction as to who you are and the projects you're involved in at the moment? Absolutely. So I'm Katie. Um, most people know me by Katie the Russian. Based on that, you can probably understand that I was born and raised in Russia. I moved to the U.S. about six years ago. Um, in my childhood, teenage years, I was a professional athlete uh, all the way until I was 21. I was on Russian national team doing a lot of sailing. On top of it, I've been doing some snowboarding uh, while getting my degree in economics and finance. Um, two years into school, I realized that that the knowledge that I'm getting there is not applicable to the real world for the most part. And I realized that I'm just wasting my time. So I decided to drop out of school and move to the United States. Uh, and that's how I ended up here. Uh, what I'm doing now is uh, I'm a founder and CEO of Plan B Passport, a consulting company where we help people obtain a second passport from jurisdictions that might be beneficial for them in different ways, such as lifestyle, um, tax regime, uh, better jurisdictional environment for their businesses, et cetera, et cetera. And we believe that having multiple passports gives you more freedom. And you might know that um, from a country that's been under the lockdown for a couple of years, actually free now, uh, I believe. So that's what I'm up to right now. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah, the, the, the least I, or the, so I'm from the UK originally, but my wife's Australian. And we moved to Melbourne 31st of December 2019. So just before the, the, the pandemic kicked off. And um, yeah, it's been a real challenge. I mean, we became parents. Uh, my daughter was born in the bedroom just next to me right now. So we had a home birth during these lockdowns, uh, which was planned, but it's still, I mean, yeah. Wow. I'm plan B passport. I, I read about your website. I listened to you in a few podcasts. I mean, a hundred percent I've, I've had a look into it. Um, and it's funny how the, the problem that you have, like it can change at any time. Um, but when you have a problem with the country you're living in, there's actually like, you suddenly don't have many options. Like I felt very, very vulnerable sitting in my house in a city. Where's my water coming from? Where's my food coming from? I'm not allowed out the front door. Um, this isn't a conversation about me, but yeah, just to, to touch on Australian life, specifically Melbourne has been an extraordinary roller coaster the last 24 months. And so the, the service that your, your business is, is um, providing is immensely valuable. And it's really a value proposition I only genuinely understood very recently. Um, yeah. We'll jump into that for sure. So, so I'd love to, to, to rewind and, and start back at the beginning. So what was life like in Russia growing up? And how did you get into sailing and snowboarding? Was that always a passion or, um, yeah, just teach me a bit about that period of your life. So I was born in a really small town in a mountain city. Um, but I believe this is one of the coolest city to be, cities to be born at because we have amazing lakes all around my hometown, as well as we're in the mountains. So during the winter time, I would snowboard a lot ever since I turned nine. My parents gave me wow. a snowboard on my ninth <laughs> birthday. And I just, I spent at least 100 days on a, uh, on a ski resort, 100 days a year. Wow. So a lot of snowboarding. Uh, in my high school years, like my ski resort was six minute walk from my high school. So 
in a lot of times I would just skip my last two classes saying that, Hey, I have a training scheduled with my coach and I was on the state team. So that was easy. Like they would be like, Oh, she's, she's an athlete. She needs to go work uh, on her, I don't know, slalom or something. So I would just skip my classes and go to um, ski resort. So that was fun. And through snowboarding, I ended up on sailing the same coach who taught me how to snowboard was starting a class, um, a sales school, basically, a sailboat school the same year. And I was like, okay, sure, I want to sail. I had no idea what sailing was. I literally, after the conversation with him, when he invited me to join the class, I came home and I opened the book with all the sports that are out there in the Olympics. And I was like, okay, what is sailing? Let me find how it looks. Is it, is it a, like a surfboard with a sail, which was windsurfing? Is it an actual boat? Is it like kayaking? Because I had no idea what it is, but I was like, hell yeah, sign me up. Because I was doing so many things. I, I always <laughs> wanted to try new. Back then I was also like doing two different dance schools. I was in a musical school doing uh, like piano and choir. So I, I would join any class you invited me for back then. So I was like, yeah, let's do sailing. Um, and like, just like in other hobbies, I got really into that, but that one got a little more successful and kind of hobby got, uh, got out of hands. Uh, and I became a national champion at the, at the age of like 12, I believe, 12. Uh, yeah. And then I just started growing in junior classes and then ended up uh, being a champion um, throughout all female and male captains um, at the age of what, 17. So I started traveling around the world a lot for Europe Cups, World Cups, etc. Um, and that's honestly how I moved to the United States. Um, I was in top 20 world ranking at this point. Uh, I was 21. And I found out that I can get a green card here in the U.S. for extraordinary abilities. Uh, because I was a pro athlete, uh, America wanted me to compete for them. And they gave me a green card. Wow. It's funny how how easy immigration is if uh, if the country wants you, um, yeah. you know, and how difficult it can be the other way around. So, so what I mean, what was that like then? I mean, you must have, I mean, to start sailing from scratch, it could be any sport, frankly. But did you just fall in love with it straight away? What was it about it that made you excited and and want to? Because you must have spent a huge amount of time focusing on it, and there must have been some real yeah. challenges as well. Um, how did you feel about it? Like, why did you suddenly go, yeah, this is what I'm going to do? So what I, I think what I like back then is a lot of responsibility. Like as a nine year old, you can't drive a car, even if you want to, you can't, like you can't take responsibility for a lot of things because like your parents make decisions for you or, you know, your teachers, etc. On a sailboat, like your life is in your hands. You can do whatever you want. It can be safe. It can be unsafe, but you are the captain of a single handed boat and you're like driving a thing and that was pretty cool another point that i really liked about sailing and I still do it's a combination of like physical activity and a lot of like um i don't know brain activity i guess um in russia we call sailing chess on a water because it's a lot of strategy involved uh, a lot of planning and you have to think ahead and then you have to analyze a lot so um i really like math uh, growing up and I felt like sailing and math are very related um, so I don't know I just I just got into that pretty quickly and um, was you know getting better quite quickly so I maybe like once you once you get good at something you want to get better and better because mm. like 
so quickly you became a champion of your city and then of your state. I'm like, you want to keep going. And uh, that was an extra motivation. Wow. It's, um, well, it's an incredible achievement. Top 20 in the world. Well done. Um, I, I certainly didn't apply myself in the sporting world to that extent. And, and so, so when you ended up in the States, like how, how different was that in terms of the culture, in terms of the, the environment? Like what were the kind of first impressions you had? Um, and obviously that was, that's where you now live. So presumably you preferred it, I guess. But um, yeah, w- was that a big shock when you suddenly started traveling internationally and, and seeing how different parts of the world worked? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Uh, first of all, I moved by myself at the age of 21. Like right now, looking back, I'm like, am I, was I crazy? Like, what, were my parents <laughs> crazy? Like, how did that happen? How, how did they let me do that? How did I decide to go for it? I... I had no savings. I had like $3,000 to move to the U.S. to the country where I've never been before. Wow. Like eight months before moving, I did not speak a single word of, word of English. So I was like, ah, I'm just going to learn the language in a matter of six months and I'll move. And I kind of did to, to an extent. Uh, so like seven years ago, I did not speak English whatsoever. Uh, and I just, I was like, okay, so where am I moving? And I kind of wanted to be in California because from Russia, California looks really good. Mm. <laughs> um, nice and walk. I want, I wanted to be in San Francisco, most likely. Uh, like, okay. I, I was really into Stanford University. I thought it's a pretty good place to be. There's a lot of sailing there. There's a Silicon Valley culture, which I was into back then. Uh, but then I found an, a language school in Miami that was somewhat relatively cheap. Mm-hmm. And I went to Miami, spent uh, eight months in the language school. And after that, I was just, okay, let's go through immigration now and try to get papers in order. Um, and yeah, shortly after I got that done, even though they did lose my green card for like over a year in the mail and I was absolutely undocumented. Like I was legally in the country. I just couldn't prove it because they lost my papers, wow. which is like funny. Um, but yeah, that was fun. And that was honestly, back then I would say that I want to assign immigration to everybody because you do need to see like, like a lot of people are born with a perception that like we are the country and the rest of the world is foreign to me, but then you move and you acquire another culture and you realize that like both of those cultures are good in a way and they both have their beauties and their faults and like at this point you realize that every country has that and uh, you can make it work in any country or you can, you can hate things in every country as well. And it's an interesting perspective. Um, definitely a good lesson, I would say. I mean, are you able to boil that down into like what were your favorite parts of life in Russia and what were your favorite parts of life in the States? I really value uh, the fact that I grew up in Russia. So um, okay. I did like, I kind of like education system in Russia a little more. Like, for for example, I did not have to attend school. Uh, like attendance was not in the picture. Like I would go to school four months out of a year at best. My mom would always let me just sleep through if I didn't want to go to school, just because parents kind of have more freedom and power uh, compared to school. Because here I know like, you spend, I don't know, you skip five days in a middle school and they're like, give us a proof that was uh, a reason, like that was a legitimate reason. And you can't just say that, hey, I was visiting my grandma. 
Like in Russia, that totally works. Like mm. I'm visiting grandma and I'm going to be in school for a month. Okay. Um, so that was cool. Mm. I mean, obviously all my experiences growing up brought me where I'm at. Like mm. I've seen so many hyperinflations. I've seen like national currency just going to shit in a matter of days. And it's like, huh, if only there was an asset that is like, geopolitically um neutral independent yeah that would be amazing um so that was a really good experience my cards being blocked all the time like i i would be in a national team and i would travel to spain and at some point my card just stopped working they freeze my account for no reason and i'm in spain at the age of like 16 with no money great wow and yeah. like, if only there was a borderless asset where you have a radical control of it with just 12 words in your head, that would be nice. Um, so that was a good experience. Now, like, I miss a lot of things about Russia. Obviously, it's my home country. My parents still live there. I came, uh, I went there to visit in August. I do love um, the fact that we grow a lot of food there. Mm. Surprisingly, I'm from Siberia, which is like the coldest part of Russia. Whoa. Uh, but we still like we grew so much food it's it's crazy and now now living in texas i'm like why people don't do that here like everything is perfect for growing food here compared to siberia you mean on like a, an individual family level you guys used to grow your own food and then obviously in the states that's just not done yeah okay. yeah like my parents my parents were, were like good entrepreneurs like they they grow grew their small businesses um they were happy, like they were happy at their jobs, let's say, and they were pretty busy with that. But at the same time, we had like all the tomatoes, cucumbers, like pretty much all the vegetables and fruits we grew ourselves. Wow. And, yeah, for the most for the most part of the year. When we did good, it would last us all year. When we didn't do well, like we would have to buy it in the spring mm. and at the end of winter. But yeah, that was amazing. And it gave me a lot of good knowledge that I can still apply here in Texas. Uh, hopefully my reddish has just sprouted. So I'm celebrating that. <laughs> um, um, sorry, what did you just say? I didn't understand. Sorry. My reddishes. What is like, that? I just, I just planted a bunch of reddishes. Ah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. So you're growing your own food in, in, in Texas now. I just started. Uh -huh. Great. Yeah, I mean, I mean um, my wife and I are very interested in this as well. Um, it's, I mean, again, kind of going back to where I was at the start, talking about life in Melbourne in the lockdown. You know, we were in a 200 square meter property that we owned, but in a central urban area, where's our food? I, I don't know. Like, it was illegal to leave your house. Like, it was just mm -hmm. crazy. Um, and it's very much <clears throat> left an impression on me. <clears throat> When in the future, I never want that to ever happen again, like ever. Um, yeah, wow. It's, it's, you know, what's really refreshing about you explaining all of this is, you know, we live in a time in which, sadly, Russia has been vilified in the mainstream media. And it's wonderful to hear a story like yours where you enjoyed your life there. It's very simple. Your parents live there. Like, it's not a, you know, it's not this, like, crazy, horrible place to live that, you know, you turn on the TV and it's like, oh, my God, like, the, the, the enemy or the evil, the way it's kind of spread um so yeah thank you for sharing all of that that's really awesome I, f I feel like you have a comment to that it's probably something you come up with or come across every day and oh you're the russian and then they hassle you yeah around. i don't know i mean does that happen um i had like i don't know my brand katie the russian like there was 
no better brand to have in February 2022. So like this month, my brand just seriously hurt me in a way, but at the same time, I did not get less Russian. Like I did not become American or any other nation. I'm still Katie the Russian. I was born and raised there. And uh, I, I like my experience. Um, and I do not associate myself with politics by any means. I hate all governments equally. So it's like, yeah, if we give them as much power, um, that's what's going to happen. But funny enough, you're saying how mainstream media paints Russia. Uh, my dad and I were just laughing yesterday that my grandpa, who never left Russia ever, who never flew on a plane whatsoever, who took a train last time, like 40 years ago, is celebrating that oil is twice as expensive in the United States than it is in Russia. So that's what <laughs> Russian mainstream media say. They're like, it, the life in the U.S. is just terrible. Their gas prices are skyrocketing. Wow. They're twice wow. as high as in Russia. And I'm like, yeah, our salaries are 10 times as high as in Russia. But yeah, it's funny how my grandpa is like, oh, yeah, that's what's going on there wow. in the Western world. What an world. interesting story. Because, of course, it's being spun in, in, in favor of whoever wants to spin it, right? It doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, okay, cool. And th thanks for sharing all of that, Katie. What I'd... Um, like to get into a bit more is this process of okay so you left russia you ended up in the states and i have to say i've heard you explain this before but um just for the sake of this particular conversation um you, you mentioned i think you were talking about um driving licenses and you realized that you're in a different country and you could use a different driving license to that country and the the rules were perhaps more lenient shall we say um can you can you talk a bit about the genesis of plan b passport so you, you suddenly left Russia, you're traveling, your credit cards died in Spain, whatever might be the case. Like, what were the problems you came across as a Russian moving around the world? Yeah, so not even saying what's going on with Russian passports right now. Like, the Russians yeah. are not welcome in probably 90% of the, of the world, maybe 80. Um, but even back then, I would have a legitimate reason for travel. Uh, like, I needed to go to Switzerland for, Europe, for European Championship. I needed to go to Spain another for, for another Europe Cup. And I was denied in visas two of those times. And it's like, I'm going there because I'm an athlete on national team and I still get, can't get in because my passport is not powerful enough. And I constantly had visa issues back then being an athlete. Then when I applied for a US visa, I also got denied. So I had to go again and show them look, I already paid for my language school. I already bought tickets. Can you just give me a visa so I can go, go there? And from a second try, they actually gave me a visa. So that kind of gave me a perspective that different passports have different powers. And then moving to the US, going through immigration, I found this concept of jurisdictional arbitrage that you mentioned. So like, it's much easier to explain in a way that, um, you just have options, right? Like having multiple passports, having multiple residency permits or um, driver licenses or anything like that gives you options. And options mean choice, means that you are in control of a situation and you're not under control of your document. So that's what, that's what Plan B Passport is about. We believe in this thing also called flat theory. And the idea behind the concept of flat theory is to limit your dependency on any one particular state 
while you know obtaining different documents from different countries so you put your business in the best uh, regulatory environment for the business then uh, your taxes and your tax residency is in a tax haven where there's zero capital gains zero income tax but then you also like like different lifestyles so you spend sometimes in the winter sometimes in the summer in latin america or elsewhere um, and you just shop for jurisdictions just like you know in the free market you shop for produce you buy veggies from one lady who grows it then you go to the butcher to buy meat then you go for dairy elsewhere right like you're shopping for the best you can get in the same way you shopping for the best you can get from the world of um, nation states you see what they have to offer and uh, you collect those flags it's a fascinating concept some of the initial kind of kickback from people will be this very um, uh, like collective or community-driven kind of guilt trip that often taxpaying members of society are in when it's like, what, so you can just live in a different place and not pay tax? Like you're cheating the system or the the people least wealthy in society will disbenefit because you're not you know, paying in. What do you say to that kind of criticism? Um, if 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 it even ever comes up, I just I know that I've in the past voiced this kind of opinion where I'm um, I'm unhappy with what my tax is being used for. I have no idea where it goes. I feel like I'm paying too much, and there's no accountability whatsoever for what happens. And on top of that, you then lock me in my house for like a year. Like fuck you, I'm not happy about this. But then equally, you're supposed to just pay your tax. Like we weren't allowed to use the roads, but your road tax bill still comes through. Like stupid stuff mm. like that. Yeah. And as soon as you go and say, oh, well, I'm going to go and live somewhere with zero tax, people go, oh, you can't do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that, that kind of, um, that social stigma, does that come up at all in, in this conversation? I would say it used to. Right now, I'm in a kind of a bubble where, <laughs> where we all think the same. But whenever it comes up, I say, well, duh, that's, that's what capitalism is. Uh, you have money, you decide to go elsewhere, you can pay for it, or um, you know, you're choosing the best service provider, aka government, with the best price for the best value, and that's what's happening. Like when you apply simple capitalist rules into nation states, that's what you where you end up. But not only that, if we did not have those monopolies, like they basically have monopoly on you. Being born in a country with one passport means they have monopoly over you. Um, but then if you apply those capitalist um, structures onto nation states, they will realize at some point that now they have to compete between each other, just like businesses in a free market. They will have to provide better services, provide you with better price, uh, because they know that they can lose you easily. You will go elsewhere with your wealth, with fruits of your labor, um, with your brain, etc. And we do, we do see it now with talent moving from one country to another and countries competing for talent. Mm. But the same way they need to compete for your wealth because, you know, they can't just print money forever. There will be an asset that is uh, verifiably... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> now I need to go into sailor's mode where he no, just no, but it's actually, adjectives, adjectives, and no, it's metaphors. A good, it's a good segue though, because um, oh, I have lots of questions, but um, let's go in this direction. So um, we haven't really explicitly talked about our love of Bitcoin during this conversation so far. We're about, you know, let's say 25, 30 minutes in. Um, at some point during this journey, you came across it. 
Um, perhaps you can talk about when you first found out about it and we'll then go on to like how it's an integral part of the play that is what you're describing the plan b passport um, and then i can come back to some of the other questions i have around that so yeah just a little bit more about your actual bitcoin experience it's so interesting how even like a year or two ago i would remember my way entering bitcoin space because that was such a big event in my life but at this point bitcoin is like engraved into my life and feels like it's been there forever <laughs> and i can only look into like what other rabbit holes bitcoin open to me because like i live in the bitcoin world and yeah. thanks to bitcoin i found other things but uh, going back there so i i'm katie an immigrant in miami who barely speaks english who started learning english like a year before this point and I'm getting uh, a Facebook message from a friend that I recently met in a language school who happened to be a producer in a Russian TV channel. She said, Katie, there's this Bitcoin, like Bitcoin crypto mining fund, whatever from Russia that is going for a conference in Miami and they need a translator who will help them interview speakers at the event. And wow. I'm like, at this point I was already like, trying to learn about Bitcoin, going to local meetups, just posted something on Facebook, had no capital to invest into that, but just like was somewhat fascinated by the concept of freedom behind it as much as I understood it at this point. So I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. So they, you know, pay for my flight, pay me a, a tiny, tiny bit, like nothing basically, but I fly there, go to this conference. It's a totally shitcoin conference, like as shitcoin as it gets. But somehow I find super weird guy at this event and I'm like, dude, like, where do I actually learn? And magically he recommends me Bitcoin master, mastering Bitcoin by mm -hmm. Antonopoulos, which, you know, we like to hate Antonopoulos, but he was a huge entrance for many, many of us. Basically mm -hmm. the whole school of like 2015, 2017 came through him. So this book like somewhat opened my eyes on the few things and at this point like I barely speak English there were two <laughs> teachers in school that would tell me that I will never be good at their subject that was IT we actually had a class name IT and the other one was English and guess what I know their subject better than they do now uh, those bitches yeah well done um, <laughs> yeah um, so yeah I in English I started reading this mastering Bitcoin book I started going down the rabbit hole um, Pretty soon later, luckily, I did not have much capital to invest in shit coins and I was too afraid to make any shit coin moves because I just didn't want to move anything. So it kind of saved me from a shit coin journey because by the time I was confident in my transactions, I was like, no, I'm going to stay in this Bitcoin. Mm. So that, that was good. And yeah, just like that, I started going deeper and deeper into rabbit holes. Uh, at the same time, I found the concept of flag theory. Um, at first, I was helping another financial migration company because they needed a Bitcoin expert to help them accept payments. And I just was talking to them about Bitcoin. But uh, soon, later, soon after, I was like, okay, I'm just going to start my uh, migrate, investment migration company. And that's what Plenty Passport is. Wow. It's amazing. See, this is what I love about these conversations is the, um, is drawing all the dots. You know, there's, there's different moments in your life where different things happen and those moments blended together are bring, you know, literally what brings us to the table today. 
um, and I, I hope through these, these conversations in this podcast, it, it will become, you know, so evident over time that all of these different individuals that have, um, you know, hugely different skill sets and therefore different lens on life have all congregated at the same point. Like that is fascinating. Why is that? And you've already mentioned lots of reasons why, you know, the different problems you've faced. Um, to, to, to talk a little bit about like life in Melbourne here. Um, so I'm a British passport holder, but my wife is an Aussie citizen. We just had a child. She, for, for Lauren to have left Australia during these lockdown rules as an unvaccinated person, she had to apply for a special exemption to get out of the country that's only just been dropped very recently, um, like yesterday, basically. Yeah. So unless you were going for over three months, you couldn't physically leave the country. And it's like, what the fuck? Are you serious? And so that very much like instigated a, an investigation and that's how I came across your business plan B passport. Um, could you talk a little bit about um, what it means to you? So we're, we're a family of three about to be four. Um, I followed you for a while on Twitter. So I believe you've recently become a parent as well. So congratulations. Um, we, we love the concept of taking on, separate passports in order to give ourselves more options as you described but we have a young family and we like the you know hospital system here in australia we have friends and family here or in the uk um how do you get around that do you have to be willing to move your young family you know every four months or whatever to different jurisdictions and, and travel around the world um i can see the the huge allure and benefits of taking on this kind of flag theory process um, but it's made tricky when you have a small family. So how do you navigate that process yourself? And, and what Always do you send? priorities, right? Um, okay. Priorities is how you navigate everything in life. Um, but let's start a little back. Like different people have different goals and needs when they obtain a second passport. For some people, it's a tax regime, right? So they want to make sure they don't pay capital gains tax on their Bitcoin. So that would be one reason. Second reason would be they're just so disagree politically with their home country that they have nothing, they don't want to have anything to do with their home country, they want to leave. Yeah, a lot of Russian citizens doing it now, a lot of Americans actually doing it now um, due to, you know, political opinion uh, that doesn't match um, the country's uh, politics. But for a lot of people, it's just a plan B. So for the moment when shit hits the pan, like you want to be able to get out. So in a situation with Australia, if you did have a second passport, that would be much easier for you, which you did. So you would be able to leave Australia. Now, um, let's look into what's going on with Russia right now. They're basically ostracized by all the bankings of the world. Uh, they can't travel unless they have a second passport. So those Russians wow. who, let's say, have like St. Kate's passport, they're still in the banking uh, um, of the world. They can still do like international trades. Their business can still survive. They can still travel very freely on their second passport, even though they are Russian citizens, but they're dual citizens. So while traveling, they're just using their St. Kate's passport, let's say. Um, so situations like that is when plan B passport becomes plan A passport. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, in the moment, like I really like to say that a lot because that applies to Bitcoiners and sovereign living a lot. Like um, there's moment of crisis, right? In the moment of crisis, you can't think, um, like you can't think normally. You're unable to think 
uh, clearly. You're basically, I'll have to find the definition of crisis for mental health. Um, uh, Cause I really, like I know what you that. mean though. It's, it's, it's this concept of um, like risk on the bell curve, right? So most stuff will happen in an area that's like not too bad, but sometimes you're going to have, for example, I, I, I had uh, James Lavish on this show. He talks about, um, uh, basically the all out collapse of fiat currencies is like a hugely improbable, but extremely dangerous event if it does happen. And therefore buying Bitcoin as a, as an insurance policy against that particular, like outrageously unlikely, but very damaging moment is important. And I think what you're trying to describe here is the same thing. So your plan B passport, you actually might not need it for the vast majority of your life. But the moment that you do, it's unbelievably valuable. And there's, I, mean, I imagine you've had a lot of incoming business from friends and family, perhaps, or, or contacts back in Russia in the last few months. Um, yeah, wow. Well, okay, enough, I, I think I get your point. The Russian, Russian people cannot get their Plan B passport anymore. They so can't. all those countries wow. who used to offer citizenship by investment have dropped Russia as a potential applicant. They do not accept applications anymore. And that's another thing while, why... Like now is the time because you don't know what your country is going to pull up, pull off and other countries will drop you. Like Canadian citizens, like their country is going a little crazy and the world starts realizing it. So perhaps Caribbean islands at some point might drop Canada as their potential applicant because they disagree with what the country does and they want to push them in a certain direction. So you can get like Russian citizens, plan B passport is working if they got it before the crisis started. Interesting. Okay. Now they can't get it anymore. Yeah. So that's very, that's definitely something to keep in mind then is that this, this extremely unlikely, but very damaging moment might not even allow you to get a plan B passport because of the rule changes that happen. Um, wow. Yeah. That's definitely something to consider, isn't it? And so um, in, in our case, perhaps then just to, briefly just highlight myself and, and the use case here as a young family you wouldn't go through this process necessarily from a tax perspective or because you disagree with the government but it's just to like this is the backup option if we need it yeah okay um, and, that, and that's the, that's the stance that you you guys as a, a young family have taken as well as it yep yeah yeah, yeah awesome it's well worth it uh, it's something I'm going to have to look into for sure. So to, to okay, talk a little uh, bit. Let me actually, let me actually do this crisis. I finally found it in my notes. Oh, go on. So a crisis is any situation in which person's action, feelings, and behaviors can lead them to hurting themselves or others, or put them at risk of being unable to care for themselves or function effectively. And that's, I really like this definition of crisis. It's from mental health again, yeah. uh, from mental health world. But it's so applicable for, you know, sovereign individual thesis because that's why we do the prepping because instead of crisis, we have a system in place for when shit hits the fan. So for people who are unprepped, um, let's say tiny crisis such as, you know, power outage comes, right? Let's say that. Are you prepared for that? Yes or no. Or let's say some disaster, like natural disaster, was a hurricane comes, you can't go to a supermarket. All you have to do is anchor down and stay at home, right? Do you have enough like meat, rice, uh, lights, and all that stuff for two weeks to spend at home without leaving the house? If the answer is no, your crisis is very likely to happen. Like, mm -hmm. like 
not being able to spend two weeks at home without living in the house, without having all the provisions for that, like that's pretty bad. So again, instead of having a potential crisis, we're building a system in place. So when the crisis comes, it's no longer a crisis for you because you're prepared. Mm. And that's, that's about Bitcoin. Like most of the Western world people have never seen inflation. Like that's not something that they expected whatsoever. Uh, on top of it, their, their bank accounts never been frozen. Their, their money or safe for their whole life, for their parents' whole life, and their grandparents' whole life. So they did not see Bitcoin being as valuable as they do now. And why now? Because inflation is hitting crazy numbers here in the US. Because they see how like, even some Russian citizens who haven't been in Russia for 50 years, even their accounts, like bank accounts and properties are being seized. Mm. And it's like, how far are we from that? Mm. And like or we've you seen be, the same you happening. Donated to the Canadian Freedom Truckers convoy, and you've had your bank yeah. account frozen. Exactly. It's like, who crazy. are the judges to to call you a criminal, right? Yeah. Um. So that's and and that's the crisis that Bitcoin solves. If you have yeah. Bitcoin, this crisis is no longer a crisis, but a system for you. And the same is applicable for everything. Like that's why we have guns. Yeah. Not in Australia, but no. that's why we're so big on. Uh, second amendment and things like that that's why we grow food in the backyard because again we want to be prepared for food shortages just in case uh yeah that's it's really interesting and so could we just flesh out a little bit like the role that bitcoin plays in this thesis then so um traditionally you would own most of your wealth perhaps in your house so the property that you live in um or you might run a physical business a cafe a factory um the the ability to move your wealth was like pretty impaired basically so um i use this example it's just sprung to mind um syria pre the asian Sp- uh, the uh arab spring crisis that, that that arrived um was a actually you know fairly wealthy country and suddenly they had to basically you know become refugees and leave and ended up moving to europe or wherever they moved to and they left behind like a lot of like perfectly good businesses that they just couldn't take with them and you know had they had a second passport that would have been helpful in terms of migration but they'd still have to leave everything behind um the same would apply for basically the majority of people we hold our 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 wealth in physical assets what does bitcoin mean in this context being able to flee with all your wealth um just as long as you can remember 12 words basically like again going back to russia i do know a lot of russian entrepreneurs living in the us with their businesses in russia those are digital businesses accepting money in russian rubles and russian banks this whole time they were able to use their russian cards in the us paying for their life etc no problem now it's no longer the case i was able to orange peel so many of those people not because they got it, but because they had to get like, th- yeah, there was wow. absolutely no other option. They could not <laughs> move money on any other way other than buying Bitcoin with their Russian card in Russia, moving Bitcoin to their uh, non-custodial wallet. And now they're free. Wow. So that was huge. And that was a big eye-opening experience for all those Russians. Now, even, in, even more interestingly, a lot of uh, Russian immigrants here in the U.S., support their families in Russia. Mm. So those, you know, um, elderly, elderly 
women who were having help from their son here in the U.S. can no longer get money, the only reason, the, the only way for him to send money would be Bitcoin. And um, they all got orange pills just because of the necessity of it. Wow. And that, that to me is like a, a, a critical part of all this where the, the use case for Bitcoin is growing every day. So, you know, we're, we're too obsessed with the price. The longer you're involved in the space, the price becomes less relevant in a sense. Um, but the, the process of understanding how much more important it's becoming to everyone is like, that's, that's the real like noise, like canceling bit. That's the signal within the noise. So that's the description I was thinking of. Um, the, the fact is they don't need to care how Bitcoin works. Like they don't need to read Mastering Bitcoin. They don't need to go to some events and think, oh, this is quite interesting. Why does this work for me? They're like, I can't get any money to my mum. How the fuck am I going to do it? Oh, here's Bitcoin. And you go, whoa, okay, this is powerful. Um, which, you know, presumably over time as governments become more and more kind of addicted to the money printer, more and more um, reactive rather than... Um, you know, being able to plan properly, these use cases will grow. It's so true. You know, I was recently thinking how it used to be so hard for me to explain Bitcoin. I would be like, okay, so there's this thing called blockchain and there's this <laughs> yeah. difficulty adjustment and this is a bunch of computers mining Bitcoin and they're like, what? Yeah. And now like my midwives um, came over to learn about Bitcoin and it wow. took me like, four minutes to just this inflation this is how we do that this is censorship this is radical ownership this is why bitcoin is good and they got it right away so wow. all my midwives are now orange pills fantastic well maybe some um some some bitcoiners from birth will be resulted in uh as uh, out of that yeah it's um, it's honestly incredible how easy orange peelable uh home birth industry is because they've seen how medical system is fucked up yeah. and they're, they're being suppressed by medical system and uh, they, don't, they don't trust them anymore. They're trying to do more freedom stuff, but their hands are tied. And when you explain them Bitcoin, they're like, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Okay, I got it. So did you have a home birth then, uh, Katie? No, I was robbed of my home birth experience. I'm so angry. And so uh, my baby actually came early okay for absolutely no reason and we had to go into a hospital um but we were still able to do a fully natural unmedicated birth and uh, avoid yeah avoid any um intervention Inter intervention yeah intervention right yeah. yeah but i i really wanted this home birth experience like i was all set on it it just didn't happen well maybe okay. maybe next time around uh, yeah i'll have more opportunities and so um, you, you mentioned you're in Texas. Um, can you tell me a bit about life in Texas today? And um, I, as a Bitcoiner based in Australia, read a lot about Austin and how it's the, the Bitcoin capital of the world. How does it feel? Um, I don't know exactly where you are in Texas. I don't know if you necessarily want to say, but um, the, you know, what's life like there? And particularly as a So Bitcoin. I'm in Austin. You are? Capital okay, cool. Of, uh, Bitcoin world. Um, I absolutely love it. You know, um, Americans call it, blueberry and tomato soup because it's very like democratic city in a very red republican state <laughs> yeah, cool but uh, for me it just means that there's a mix of people and somehow they all get along meaning that they don't take politics over family values or like 
over personal relationships. So they don't see people as blue or red. They just see people, mm -hmm. which is like me as a political or anti-political, I guess, person. Um, that works for me. Um, I can just be myself and say that I hate both parties equally and they're <laughs> totally cool with that too. Um, yeah, and um, what I, I think, I don't know, I, I really love the city. Like I moved here a little less than a year ago. I fall in love with the city. I, I love the nature, I love, I love the climate. Um, I like the people and the things that I can do here a lot of activities like basically anything I can come up with I can find it like you know paddleboarding kayaking crossfit mm. things like that on a really good level I also do love local farmers like Texas is really big on local food sourcing mm -hmm. so I go to the farmer market every week or maybe twice a week it's my favorite one on Sunday where it's like you walk into this farmer market and you feel like you're at a bitcoin meetup because you're like Oh, I know you, I know you, I know you. And then at the end of farmer market, we just all end up at this uh, kind and of are you guys, are you, are you guys buying food with your Bitcoin? Um, th there, is, there are a lot of places that accept Bitcoin. Like um, the, there is this beef initiative going on um, led by Texas Slim. Yep. And he's basically onboarding all the farmers to start accepting Bitcoin for beef. Wow. And that's a pretty cool initiative. Um, they actually have a conference this weekend where it's like all the farmers and Bitcoiners get together and talk about wow. beef and money. Interesting. Yeah, pretty cool. So I absolutely love Austin and Texas. Again, uh, I'm very flexible with where I leave. Like I've been nonstop traveling for four years to living everywhere I could find. Like I, lived, I spent over a year in Mexico before moving here, uh, which I also loved a lot. So I'm, I'm flexible in a way that if I have to, I will move. I will move elsewhere, and I'll find happiness and perfect. I'll build perfect lifestyle for myself and my family if necessary. But at the same time, I do like to be somewhat settled down and building mm. around the place where I'm at. Well, and especially as a as a recent um, as a as a recent mom, like there's that kind of. Um, well, certainly, my wife and I have felt this that uh, like. I don't know. It's like a natural instinct to kind of nest, isn't it? You want to stay in the same place and just make sure everyone's safe. And like, you know, I'm sure as maybe we get older and have other kids and they get a bit older, like actually actively traveling between, you know, for example, I've thought about having a second passport, getting an Aussie passport. So I'd have three and you'd spend some time in the UK, some time in Australia, but not too much time that you end up getting snared by the income tax rules and CGT rules. And then, I don't know, having a Caribbean passport of some form and going to Mexico. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but your kids need to be at a certain age, I think, to make that straightforward. Yep. And, um, that will happen at some stage. I was also going to say we've got some, I've got a friend here who's um, going to be helping Bitcoiners buy beef directly from an Aussie farmer. So um, the Australians, you know, I think 60% of the food that they produce is exported. So there's a, an amazing amount of, of fresh food and, and produce being created here. So building those networks where, you know, there's urban based Bitcoiners that want to buy directly from someone who they know who, you know, who know who's done the farming, buy a whole cow, stick it in the freezer. Like that's also growing here as well. So it's a really interesting trend where, you know, it's, it's come out of need in a sense. It's like, where's my food coming from? I've been lulled into this false sense of kind of, um, you know, urban life where I can outsource everything. And then suddenly you yep. can't, and then your, you know, your crisis arrives and it's, yeah, I guess it's how you react to crises that, um, that makes such a difference. 
and also don't trust verify right um one thing that texas Lee musk we we just hosted a conference in miami and he was a speaker there the yeah. one thing that he asked is like how many hands does your food goes through between being completed as a food and you and you're like i have no idea what the routing is like yeah, in this wow. whole transaction yeah so what's no the clue. complexity of the supply chain yeah yeah and then and then you look into like your farmer market you know them by name it's just like peer-to-peer node to know like be your own node and grow mm. your own food or at least know from which node you can purchase verifiable mm. food and uh, it's like yeah it's amazing um the, these well the the ability to communicate internationally is obviously you know relatively recently become free so this conversation we've been able to get in touch you know not had a, a call like this before um and, and get to know each other a bit better and obviously brilliantly hear your story but there's similar characteristics to the life you're trying to build yourself that i'm also interested in and we're in completely different parts of the world so it's very interesting to see over time how people might well be influenced by these like you know take a plan b passport for example or equally like find out about your food chain and these type of um mentalities are obviously seeping into societies all over the world we just you know we know about a very small microcosm of it um i wonder how you know that will change the world going forwards i don't know no i'm I'm very i'm very i'm very much into merging all this rabbit holes together like Mm. recently um jessica and i and afkar uh um dean's wife recorded an episode on home birth Cool. And that's a huge uh, rabbit hole that some Bitcoiners got into while others knew nothing about it. But it's like, in terms of values, it's so aligned between Bitcoin and, yeah. you know, Isn't home it? birth. Yeah. Yeah. And like you're merging this two Bitcoiners click like this on stuff. Yeah. Like home birth because they don't trust government. They don't trust medical system. They always come back to first principles and they do want to see, see things that been around for, you know, centuries and that's naturally comes to home birth and then again um you look into other things like off-grid housing where you try to build self-sufficient house that is you know surviving on like local water uh well um solar energy or something like that and you're like yeah it makes sense because i want to be off-grid i don't want to rely on the local government either and like I'm really into all these little rabbit holes that make you a little more sovereign. I can tell. That's why yeah. I've been hosting when underground The passion comes through. It's great. Yeah. And like another huge thing that's definitely going to be my next project after Plan B Passport. Not that I'm, I will never leave Plan B Passport, but at some point uh, I'll be off operations and I'll move into unschooling again because Whoa. like we're outsourcing the school system to people who did not do well in school by themselves. And they don't really like their jobs and they do like work under government entities. Therefore their hands are forced to do whatever they're told. So they can't like the interests don't align in a lot of cases. And when you realize like that your kids are sitting on the, on the desk for eight hours a day with a bad posture, learning things that they will never need in life on top of it, being brainwashed current thing, the politics, whatever. And you're like, uh-uh, that's not what I want to do. So how do I get out of it? And uh, that's huge interest of mine. 
It actually, it's, it's interesting that we've come full circle, but at the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned about the difference between Russian and American school life and how actually Russian school life was a lot more relaxed. You didn't have to kind of tell the school where you were. You just, you know, you got on with whatever your family chose to do. And I didn't comment on it at the time, but um, it's also a rabbit hole I've started going down. Like I've now got a child, like how am I going to teach them about the world? And the, the kind of, um, the student-led philosophy seems so interesting. Child-led education. Mm -hmm. Right? And this whole idea that now you can utilize digital platforms, you can sit anywhere in the world, you can have one of the best teachers in that specific niche give a class to people in like 17 different countries at the same time. And, you know, they can do like one or two focus hours per day of school and become absolutely expert in something that they truly love by the age of like 15 rather than do all the other bullshit that we had to sit through. And this whole process of, um, I had, I have a YouTube channel with some mates and we did an interview with Daniel Prince. I don't know if you've ever spoken with Daniel, but his his story is great. And he's like, school teaches obedience, doesn't teach discipline. You know, you get, you have to wear the same fucking set of clothes as everyone. You get chucked in a classroom. You have to be totally silent for like half the day and listen to some mole at the front, tell you about how life works. And they're all just regurgitating the same thing as everyone else has been told to say. Like there's no, or at least his view of that's what school was. I think you're right. Like it's fascinating. So if we can, you know, get our food from somewhere close by, if our wealth can be stored somewhere that no one can actually touch and we can physically move it without any cost whatsoever, and we're able to then teach our kids on the fly, this changes everything, doesn't it? Like yep. in terms of how our parents sort of thought about, you know, life. Um, oh, it's opened up like a hundred million more rabbit holes and I'm sure we could go on for another hour or so. Um, Katie, thanks so much for sharing your journey with me and, uh, and teaching me about all the things that you're working on and, and how life's been so far. Um, you, you made one comment that's really resonated with me, which is around the opportunity to go to that Bitcoin conference. When you first started learning about Bitcoin, you said, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. That philosophy seems to permeate everything you've done since you've been you know, back as a teenager, getting involved in sport and then diving into being an entrepreneur and being a Bitcoiner. So what an awesome story. Thank you for sharing all of that. And um, I wish you the very best of, uh, of luck as a parent and with Plan B Passport. If there's anything I can do to help, then do let me know. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed our time. And as a last comment, where can people get hold of you uh, if they wanted to? Well, Katie the Russian on Twitter, uh, as well as Katie at flambypassport.com. Uh, you can always schedule a free consultancy for passport talks, black theory, strategizing, and brainstorming on what's best for you. Um, my DMs on Twitter are pretty open. I somewhat try to stay on top of it, sometimes fail, but um, not too bad. And yeah, that, that, should be, that should be good. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a good one. Bye.